Hey gang, welcome back to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two game likers, Tyler and Nate. I'm Tyler. I'm Nate. Damn right, that's Nate. We're here to examine the storytelling and gameplay of popular and niche RPGs in a book club-like format. It's season two, we're covering Final Fantasy VII Remake and its parallel content in the original game released back in 1997. Today, we're returning to Chapter 8, diving back into the plot as Cloud and Aerith arrive at the Sector 5 Slums residential area. Nate, how the hell are you? I'm tired. I'm so tired all the time. No sleep. Till Brooklyn. What is that? It's a Beastie Boys joke. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Yeah. I remember. Tell Brooklyn. I knew it was something. What are the Beastie Boys even? Because like that's not a that's not a rap song, but I always hear that they were like rap pioneers, but it's like is is ill communication the only real like rap album of theirs? I don't know. They're white boy rap. I, I don't I don't know the the legend or what they've gone to do and what they've influenced yeah 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 i feel like their flow has always been five to ten years behind where the rest of rap was so that's that's but like you go back to that old stuff like that's just kind of a rock song like uh fight for your right to party no to sleep till brooklyn it's like that doesn't i was always confused by the beastie boys and never never really caught on they walked so limp biscuit can run and uh run run they did Nate and I are about to go on a ridiculous tangent on new metal, and I don't think that's very interesting for everybody here. So I'm going to pull it out, put it at the end of the episode here, and if you want to hear it, it's there for you. But in the meantime, I think it's smarter to get to content. I'd also like to point out that I'm peaking, that my levels are peaking over the course of this uh, episode here, and I know what's going on. We're going to have it fixed for the next episode. In the meantime, please bear with me. Thank you. So I don't know how we got there, but I can tell you how Cloud and Aerith got to the Sector 5 residential area. We were fleeing the train station. We saw that another Turk, Rude, had landed and he's looking for us. And so we took the roundabout way to get to the Sector 5 residential area where Aerith and her mom live. And we finally get there. It's a huge community, a lot like the Sector 7 slums residential area is, but instead of I mean, there's a lot of like shanties and shops built into garbage and things like that. But this one, there's a lot of um, living inside of or making homes out of infrastructure. For example, in the center of the community is this huge nexus of giant pipes. It's this big like mechanical monstrosity with all kinds of pipes coming out of it. People are living in pipes. People are hanging out in, in pipes. Uh, lots of things like that we go down an alley we hear more of that those ambient npc you know dialogue talking and we're noticing that they're all gathered around a tv screen that is hung off of this large centerpiece in the community and there's a public announcement going on that everyone's kind of gravitating towards yeah we get a like a live report from a news company topside in the sector five reactor kind of surveying the damage and everything. And it's interesting because like if this news organization, you think that, that the, the media would be under the thumb of Shinra, but it seems like they're, they're kind of doing a little bit of emergent reporting here. Like they don't know what's going on. They're, they're trying to figure it out. Maybe that's an act of Shinra's to kind of give the impression that like, oh, we're, we're reporters for the people, you know? So what kind of happens here is this guy's doing an investigation of the smoke billowing out of the reactor, the damage done and everything. And then what we get is uh, the director of Shinra's advanced weaponry division on camera being filmed by the reporter. And he has some questions for her, grilling her about, uh, you know, what happened? Is everything going to be fine? Or, you know, is, is the reactor 
stabilized and she's got a bit of an attitude and she assures the reporter that everything's okay put your trust in shinra it's all going to be all right on the other end of this i was kind of thinking to myself like midgar here we've taken out two out of eight reactors and i thought to myself has there ever been a time where like manhattan new york has just lost 25 percent of its power and infrastructure capabilities the answer is yes actually apparently in 77 in real world 1977 here there was a total blackout of new york city and it was just mass chaos so i don't know it, it midgar seems like it's handling losing 25 percent of its power pretty well maybe they can divert energy from other reactors to kind of pull things back online once you get wires connected and pipes repaired and things like that i don't know but as this interview goes on scarlet she's given a little bit of a little bit of disdain for the reporter Mm -hmm. being so questioning not not trusting the system and so at the end of the, the short little interview she knocks the man to the ground and steps on him like a a good mommy scarlet (laughs) um you know playing into that step on me mommy meme and we didn't have um i I think the biggest video game purveyor of the meme is i I don't know if i'm saying this correctly lady demet Demetriscu, or I don't know how to say it. I, I've only read it. Oh, yes, from Resident Evil Village. Starting to go a little stale. Then let's devour his man flesh quickly, mother. Yes, yes. And that one, that just absolutely exploded the second she, like, that trailer came out and everybody was just dying over her. So this predates that, but I it feels like there's a big, there's like a swelling of mommy energy out there in the gamer space. We're all in our thirties we're well moved out of the house and this, uh, what is this Oedipal complex has just been building in us for years and years. And the developers know, know what they're doing in that respect, I guess mm-hmm. we're getting a lot of dummy mommies as I put them. Very, very good. Nate. So let's meet a picture for you about what this girl looks like. She's, uh, she's a very nice looking woman. She's not young. She looks like she's more like in her 40s. Uh, she seems tall, domineering. She's She wears a dark, a deep red dress uh, with that heavily emphasizes her top, her exposed. The cleavage area. There is some serious cleavage going on. She's disdainful, dismissive. Um, she's got blonde hair and uh, with a lock that comes down the side of her face, earrings and a, and a little pendant that nestled between her boobies, black shoes. She's a character in original as well, and we don't meet her in this moment. She's not, I don't think we see her at all, at all in the Midgar section of... We do. We oh, no, see... No, 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 no. Yeah. We see her in the... Sure. We see her in the building. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for correcting me. Yeah, that's right. But but not in this moment. It's a unanimous report that we witness. Yeah. A couple kind of comments on her attire. It, it It's like a mixture of the, like the red the traditional red cocktail dress the the beautiful woman at the bar you know the seductive mm. one but it's got like jacket the the top half it's not just a full dress there's like a a jacket section to it and then it's got like a collared top and and buttons and then like a 
a chain for what looks to be like a stopwatch tucked into a pocket of some sort. So it's treading this line of like business executive and lady at the bar at the same time. And then there's a lot of like exposed black lace and exposed stockings and everything that you would kind of taking the woman to bed attire, you know, just as much as, you, you know, you can imagine where that's going. And so it's like she's essentially representing like three different characters at once. And so it's kind of confusing. Like, what am I supposed to get from her? Am I supposed to get like she the business executive side is that she's powerful. She's commanding authority. She's a, a high up within the company. Obviously, we know that about her. But like, did she get there because of her business savvy or did she seduce her way to that position? We don't really know. And as I commented in early episodes, like her and Heidegger kind of get played off as comic relief a little bit. So I'm I'm tempted to, you know, not to not to make this judgment call about any of the other women in the game. The 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 ladies we've met so far in Final Fantasy VII Remake are wonderful female characters. But this one Due to her representation, I'm getting a little bit of uh, um, maybe doesn't exactly belong in the positions she's in. And she's used other assets to secure her role within the company. I think I agree with you, but I don't think those assets are particularly the physical ones. Um, I th- it, it comes out in this broadcast that she's mean mm. and that she's willing to leverage power to accomplish the things that she wants it may be that she's just as cunning and ruthless as heidegger but she's sexy too yes you're right i don't know if that that physical presentation is like a representation of her actual character or if it's like a, a misdirection of coming off as this damsel and then you get the the knife in your back on the flip side you know so Hmm. you know you mentioned her age her appearance and that kind of took me down to a rabbit hole of like how old is president shinra here how old is she you know the boardroom people as as i'll call them they kind of um they give off like a prior generation energy and then the people on the ground doing the the fighting we've got reno rude so far we'll meet some more of them they all look to be kind of my generation we're not we're not fighting any old men you know so the guys are up in the the old guys are up in the boardroom the young guys are doing the dirty work on the ground and you might have some insight into this because you recently purchased the ultimania you know got it right here but but when i look at midgar i'm picturing like this type of enterprise this type of thing this is like a a 300 year project in my head when i look at america and the building up and like the layers of like american industry and how we're nearing that like 250 year mark maybe it's less let's say midgar seems like a i'll go with a 150 year long project so to me shinra the shinra company president shinra I'm thinking there's another Shinra above him who's since passed on and another one above him and another one above him that, you know, I'm wondering, is there a Shinra family that's been at this for, you know, generations? I can answer that for you. So there's two Ultimanias for Final Fantasy VII. One one is the seven, eight, and 9 of original, all kind of compiled together, which is more like a this is painting with too broad of a brush, but like a picture book and a memory mm-hmm. book. Like, hey, remember this, remember that. But the 
Final Fantasy VII Remake material Ultimania has the in-depth, it has like the perfect works, has has the extra information in it that you, that nerds like us crave. And on page 258, I can see a Midgar timeline and it doesn't just start the, the, the development of building Midgar, but it also includes when the Shinra Manufacturing Company first began. This is before they became the Shinra Electric Power Company. That was 48 years prior to the beginning of the game. Mm, okay. 39 years after the creation of the company, the first Mako reactor was built in Nibelheim, and a period of eight years after that, Midgar began to become constructed. So Midgar is like 35 years old? Well, it began construction 35 years ago. That, uh, okay. So it could be even younger than that. All right, so the 35 years to make Midgar, I don't, that that doesn't work for me at all. I'm sorry. One, first off, you know, we've seen the church below, and you told me last episode that that church was built for people to like worship at while Midgar was being built. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, that the entire society, the city, everybody living there, I have to imagine there was an entire city slash city state slash country there before they made the pizza because who's my where were people migrating from to this location you know there had to have been something there before the the plates were built and then the 35 years to build the plates they're talking like if you remember that chat in the train like all the cities used to have names but no one remembers them anymore is there anything that would be lost to the annals of time in 35 years like that no one remembers the names anymore i'm sorry i don't i don't buy it but there's an illustration here that i'm thinking like a, there's two polar opposites in rpgs that it just frustrates me that writers or creators have a really hard time nailing this balance for me, the, this uh, immersive balance. So Midgar, according to the official notes from the creators of Final Fantasy VII, built way too fast. In my head, that's a thing that is needs to it takes about 150 years and multiple generations and iterations and family members and president Shinra's great grandpa started it. And there's a legacy and all that stuff. That's what I envisioned. And they're telling me that's absolutely not the case, that in my lifespan, a Midgar could rise above Wichita, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that. I mean, I've, I've been living on this military base for two years, and there's like a derelict section of the base housing that they've been demolishing. They've been working on that for two fucking years, and nothing's happened. Amazing. The McDonald's down the street has had a Windows 95 error message on their ordering screen for the last <laughs> two years. And you're going to tell me... Midgar was built in 35. No. And I get it's a fantasy, but it's it, you want your fantasy rooted in some sort of tangible reality. Now, the flip side is the other end of that pendulum that I also can't believe is like Xenoblade, our, our season one darling here, is you look at the, um, the High Entia and their great city of Alchemoth, right? And you're telling me that they've just sat there for like... Was it 15,000 years or something? Gosh. Doing absolutely nothing. No no grand swings in like political upheaval or tribalism or building other cities or whatever. They're just like, yeah, we made our, we made our dome and we're set. 
for for 15,000 years. Um, And if you think I'm like cherry picking there, Warcraft also has this problem of like, you know, the the night elves, the war of the ancient 12,000 years ago. And and then we sat around (laughs) and did nothing for 12,000 years. And then and then the players showed up and all of a sudden we've got 19 catastrophes in the last 10 years and it's like guys stop doing the 12,000 <laughs> like do 120 like for both Warcraft and Xenoblade and Final Fantasy 7 do 150 years I can believe all of those I can't believe 15,000 and I can't believe 35 there, there's a middle ground that nobody's able to achieve and, and I don't know why I don't know why they got to go to both ends of the spectrum. Do you feel that at all? Am I nuts? Uh, no, I, I think you're right. I guess I don't I don't think about it quite so much. It is a funny thought, though, that in-game worlds, that communities would be like, oh my god, did you say playable characters are coming? No! 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 Wall up the city! Keep them away! Disasters are coming! They always bring disaster! Yes, exactly. That's how they, that's how they managed to live for 12,000 years, because there were no playable characters. Yeah, like some author... Invited since then. Yeah, some author is like, I've, I've come to chronicle the events of your lands, and they're like, yeah, no Nothing's happened here for 10,000 years. Go away. <laughs> but I have such stories to tell. No, no, leave. And then all of a sudden a meteor hits and demons are flooding your streets. And then a week later, the the underworld is cascading through the floor. And then a week after that, dragons have learned how to make battle armor for themselves. And it's just like, like God damn it. We had it so nice doing absolutely nothing. Anyway, tangent over. Tangent over. Uh, I really like the music in this zone. Now, in in original, we get the song Under the Rotting Pizza. It is scummy and low-lifey and feels kind of dangerous. And we don't get that in remake. It gives you this impression that it's depressing in the Sector 5 slum. That, yeah. that this is like a downtrodden shithole that everybody's living in. Exactly. Exactly. But very much like how they handled music in Sector 7 slums, we have this peaceful, romantic, relaxing track. This one is called Hollow Skies. And it's a variation on the theme of Hollow, the quote-unquote main theme of Final Fantasy VII Remake performed by Yash Morita. And knowing that... It turns out, contrary to what I said last episode, it turns out there are variations on the theme in terms of music and the soundtrack for Remake. Maybe not in the way, in the example I gave where Flowers Blooming in the Church was for the air theme. But we have one here where Hollow Skies is a variation on the theme of Hollow, which is going to play in the credits. I always felt like there was a little bit when we when we entered the compilation of Final Fantasy VII era, there was a little bit of like leaning into country culture and biker culture and things because like motorcycles do have a identity or like a connection to seven in ways that they don't in any other Final Fantasy game, if I can say that. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little bit more like, I remember in Advent Children getting a little bit more of like that uh, classical guitar tone to some of the songs and some gritty down to earth music. Granted, I mean, it was all MIDI and you couldn't, it would be hard to make that distinction in the original seven. But now that they have these uh fully produced orchestral works in compilation era felt like there there was a little bit of more like uh 
and, and those scenes of like cloud just on his bike going down the country roads and stuff like that like a a, a man of the earth <laughs> as much as he can be in his like black trench coat he's a country boy after all yeah 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 oh and i, I will mention you you mentioned that earlier um with the uh from the ultimania that uh Shinra's first project was actually in Nibelheim, not in in the mid, the completely opposite end of the world from where Midgar is, and that their kind of founding presence was Nibelheim, which would be a lot closer to Wutai. So one, that's interesting, but also the name Nibelheim and Midgar are variations of Niflheim mm. and Midgard from Norse mythology. So if like Midgard is where the humans live and everything, Niflheim is actually like frozen hell. So uh, <laughs> it, I don't know if it's just they they picked a name and uh, like altered it and just kind of went with it or if they're saying something about Nibelheim when they, they call it that. So um, Interesting. I agree with that. It feels like, I mean, even just strolling around in the Sector 5 slums in original, it feels dirty and of course there are like civilians and shopkeeps and, you know, more typical kind of NPCs, but the environment feels like any one of these people could jump out and mug you, too. Mm -hmm. I remember strolling around in it in my first playthrough, or for a few playthroughs, that it's not a very pleasant place to be in. Meanwhile, in Remake, we feel more sympathetic, it's more romantic, there's, you know, you, the, the emphasis is on the poverty-stricken, hard luck, school of hard knocks, kids making do with what they have in the rubble, sort of context, and not the dangerous wasteland environment that I kind of felt in the original. And we can kind of use that transition to talk about original here. There's a key moment as you get into the... Like outside Sector 5, there's a stretch where you can encounter random enemies. And we talked about that last time. But once you get into like the commerce area where the shops are and people are milling about, random battles stop. You still have the Underneath the Rotting Pizza song, though. So you're talking to people with still this downtrodden like CD music. You're going into people's houses and checking out the interiors with Rotting Pizza playing, you know. But we get... Uh, an iconic memeable moment in uh and you might miss it if you play the game on any modern platforms but back in the day in the original release of final fantasy 7 we'd find a little pipe and before you could enter it Aerith would uh, pull you aside Eris, even maybe only Eris is the one who will deliver this line <laughs> but uh she'll pull you aside and tell you this guy are sick this guy are sick yes and uh what she's referencing is there's a sick man in the in the pipe whispering gibberish and he has a tattoo on his arm tattoo number two yeah now this will actually be the the first tattoo person we meet in og no marco in original yeah yep so uh but i played this you know for the podcast i was playing this on the nintendo switch and the modern versions of the game you buy on Steam are kind of this amalgamation of uh, adjustments made with the original PC release, um, which came out in 1998, a year or so after the original. And but they've they've readapted the original soundtrack from uh, the PlayStation tracks into the game because the PC release actually used like whatever MIDI plugin you had on your version of windows 
it would just tap into that and use it. So the PC has like these wild different variations and different sounds of the tracks like that could be produced from that. But they did away with that. So uh, the modern version of the game you, you can buy are like kind of amalgamated updates of certain things from the PC version, readapting things from the original PlayStation to kind of create like what you'd consider a prime version. But when I played it on the Nintendo Switch here, she said, this guy is sick. Oh, no. Moment lost, you know. <laughs> Moment lost, yes. So there's plenty to look around at in the Sector 5 slums. In one of the houses, there's a TV that shares news of that Avalanche has put parts of Minger out of power temporarily. And uh, that's Originals Analog to remakes uh scarlet broadcast uh elsewhere there's a kid that you can rob five gill from his i don't know his nightstand i choose not to and i think in the same room there's a turtle paradise poster now in original you might recall that there are a variety of turtle paradise posters scattered throughout the world and it is a something of a mini game to find them all and if you do something happens i don't remember what they are do you remember what happens when you find all the turtle paradise posters it's like a spa in butai Right? Yes. And once you get them all, I don't know if there's like a materia or maybe an elite weapon for Yuffie. I forget too the exact thing. It's something special. You do want to check them out and find them. But it begs the bigger question. You're going to go to a Wutai resort if you're a member of Midyar. Now, in OG, mm. not that big of a deal. There's not this open, like, conspiracy of Wutai agents filtering into the city and causing terrorism. But definitely in Remake, the idea that you're, you're like, hey, Midgar citizen, you're going to go on a vacation and check out Wutai. Uh, that's, that's pretty sus, considering the circumstances of... Uh, what's going on in remake of Wu Tai agents? Like uh, we've heard several mentions of that. Mm -hmm. And on the TV, it says uh, that you know Mayor Domino has made comments about restoring peace to the city and and handling the terrorism and everything. So yeah, the Mayor Domino is what's it a proxy leader? Is that a good term or like a puppet leader? Because Shinra runs the city, but they do have a a mayor. And who knows what he even does. We might learn later how much or how little Mayor Domino does in terms mm -hmm. of running the city. But he has an assistant. And the assistant's name is Heart in uh, Final Fantasy VII OG. Except in Japanese, Heart uses the katakana characters for Hato. So if you translate that of what i just said that is the only way that a japanese person is able to say the word hot Hato. the two people running quote unquote the city of midgar are domino and hut oh no they are above the rotting pizza underneath the rotting pizza chains pizza franchises yes exactly now now I have to ask, are you a are you a hut man or a Domino's man? Probably Domino's. I don't really care for the most part. If I'm going to dine in, then I'd say Pizza Hut. They give a better like table experience in my opinion. The the breadsticks, the sauce, the like you can get a like a, a wilder pizza flavor. And I think Domino's went through like a, a dark ages of just making terrible shit pizza but i think they're on the way back like in the last 10 years i've been pleasantly surprised by some dominoes so maybe i have to give them credit but growing up i was well 
this is another tangent, but Domino's never gave me PlayStation one demo discs. So Hmm. maybe my love was bought, you know, fascinating. Did you ever get any pizza hut demo discs, Tyler? Probably. I can't remember. I played metal gear solid for the first time on a pizza hut demo disc. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Um, I'd have to look at what was on the releases, but demo discs were this amazing thing of like, because they had the first stage of like 12 games, it was almost like that disc was an entire game in and of itself. Now it was all teases and you weren't investing in any of them, but for a a young 12 year old who had no income and his game purchases were few and far between any content was welcome and so pizza hut delivered in oak clear wisconsin if you're not going to do any big chains you're probably going to toppers well i guess that's a chain uh sammy's pizza is very good and what's that what's that chain that's got like the man with the glasses and the white hat and the white suit rocky rococo rocky rococo's wonderful sausage pizzas Pizza Hut's, a couple of them had it going for them that they had arcades in the building. Mm. Rocky Rockies also had an arcade in the building. I distinctly recall playing Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, Moondancer, Moonlighter <laughs> uh, arcade yes. cabinet in the breezeway or something of a Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut had X-Men versus Street Fighter. My first exposure to the game, mind fucking blown that that was even possible. That two mm. of my favorite things in the goddamn world were going to just come together and beat the shit out of each other. But Rocky Rococo's was the first sighting in the wild of Mortal Kombat 3. I saw the cabinet and I was like, what, 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 what? Mortal Kombat 3? And I went back to, I think I was like in second grade maybe. And I went back to all the kids at school and I said, I saw Mortal Kombat 3. No, no, that's not real. No, the ninjas are robots now. And Sub-Zero took off his mask. And they're like, all right, now we definitely know you're lying. You're just making shit up. Mm. Yeah, but I was was completely right because I had gone to Rocky Rococo's. So there. Nicely done, Nate. I looked it up real quick. The Turtles Paradise uh, rewards are a power source, guard source, magic source, mind source, speed source, luck source, and a mega elixir once you speak to the proprietor of the place in Wutai. All right. And those are permanent stat increases. So source items are quite valuable wherever you can find them. Indeed. Leveling without leveling. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, if you don't steal the uh, the kids five gill. You come back later. I don't know what point it is that you're back here. I think it's, you know, we're we're gonna not. I'm not gonna spoil this because it's an event in remake as well. But you come back later, and if you didn't steal the kid's five gill, he's like, "Hey, I bought something with this, but I don't want it. You can have it." And it's another item, and I forget what it is. But uh, yeah, don't take his money. Let him let him make the choice himself to reward you. Cool. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll circle back to the kid and his five gill. Yeah. All right. So through a tunnel on the far side of the slums, um, we will arrive at Aerith's house. It is this haven. It is this beautiful, bucolic, natural cove. It it kind of feels like it's it's a pretty red house. She doesn't live in a pipe. She lives in this cottage. There's flower gardens surrounding the house and surrounding the the greater area around the house. And there's paths that go through and around the gardens. You can find some items in there in both games. 
and there's a waterfall and there must be a uh, aqueduct that's emptying into this pond behind the house and it's make and it's providing water for all of this foliage that grows in the dump that is the sector five slums this is a dramatic contrast to where we just were it is unusual to see all of this nature uh, nestled away in this corner of this rocky derelict broken up dirty slum that everybody else gets to live in i was gonna say this is this is more proof to my just my not even a theory but just an immersive sense that i have to have that before if we're gonna say the 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 Midgar pizza was made in 35 years that there had to be an entire something here before this. Cause this house being built in this setting in tandem with the building of Midgar makes absolutely no sense. Like, and even the more I think about it now, just in this moment, the house I'm currently living in on a military base is 70 years old, double the age of Midgar. So uh, when you look at this place, it's classic, it's elegant, it's from a pre-industrial age. It's designed with beauty and attention to the earth and the gardens and everything. All of that tells me there was a world and a life before Midgar here, right? Doesn't that... Doesn't that just feel like Midgar is trampling over something that once was? Certainly, yeah. Yeah. And the other the other question I have is, what job does Aerith's mom have that she can afford this prime real estate? Because if you look at everything around her, it's all just junk. Yet she's got this spot, waterfront real estate. Great question. And she's just home in the middle of the day making sandwiches and putting flowers in baskets and it's like I, I don't know. <laughs> where Where's your income coming from, lady? She's exploiting her daughter who is selling flowers for two gill a pop on the streets of the plate above. Yeah, and later I can maybe answer that question a little bit deeper, but we'll keep it simple for right now. Mm-hmm. Sure. So we walk into the house with Aerith and we meet Aerith's mom, Elmira. And uh, it, it's both the scenes are very similar in both games. And uh, the introduction is very simple. Aerith is cheerful. The mom's happy to see her kind of wondering where she's been, but not too concerned about it. Um, but uh, Aerith tells her mom that she's got to help take Cloud to Sector 7. And he tries to refuse. Aerith says... You just walk around lost, too embarrassed to admit it. And we, we have another moment where Cloud's kind of peeing into this, this sense, this growing sense that like Aerith is reading from a script that he doesn't have access to. Uh, and mm. he, he says, quit acting like you know me. And so he he's, it's been now too many instances of Aerith kind of reading him perfectly you know he he's sensing it and so um i believe the irony in the subtext here is she probably knows him in better than he knows himself if we're to lead into some of those conclusions we were talking about last time about the the pre-cogging you know it's like mm -hmm. she has a she has a better sense of what he needs right now than even he does and maybe she did in the original too if we're being honest you know even without knowing him or say maybe she was just such a good judge of character with <laughs> with him pretending to be the badass that she's like oh, i've met types like you before i'll 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 kind of slyly convince you that it's your idea to play to my beat you know but anyway so 
uh, you know, she's going to help us get back to Sector 7. And Elmira, the mom, says, you know what? It's getting, it's not late. Like, the sun isn't down. It's not nighttime. But by the time Aerith gets there, comes back, it probably will be. So she wants us to stay the night and get a fresh start bright and early in the morning to, to make the trip to Sector 7 and back. But before we do, we're invited to check out the town. Why not check out the town is a very leading statement coming from a an NPC in this game because we're probably going to get into some quests. Very much like how we handled the Sector 7 chapter. We got, we checked out the town. We became part of the the local, the, the neighborhood watch. We got involved in some shit and it's going to happen again. We're going to do some quests. And the one that kind of kicks us off for it is delivering flowers to the orphanage. Now, Aerith hands us a basket. She tells us that, and, and they can be white flowers or yellow flowers and she tells us that white means loyalty and i don't remember what yellow means uh, probably love right in specified as in chapter two of this game is lovers reunited as she told us lovers used to get these when they were reunited oh my god you're right about that so we get to pick one of these baskets and, and, I might, and I might be projecting here, but is the combination of flowers... Oh, excuse me. No, no. We pick a basket and then we can pick a combination of white or yellow flowers. You can go like yellow, yellow, white, yellow, white, white. And I feel like... I wonder if there's some symbolism about how you compose your flower basket. Is it reflective of how we feel about Aerith or the orphans that we're going to deliver these to? I don't know the actual answer, but here's my guess. If we're playing the shadow dating game behind the scenes, white being loyalty is all about Tifa. She's your childhood bestie, right? And she also wears white. Aerith doesn't necessarily wear yellow. And... You know, there, there's a little bit of that connotation I mentioned from chapter two of lovers reunited, Aerith and Cloud. They weren't necessarily lovers, though. Cloud is a, can I, is it the facsimile or like a, he's not like a copy, but he's a echo of somebody else. And so I think picking the yellow would be kind of giving you Aerith points in a way of if it's lovers reunited, mm -hmm. it's it's her longing to be reunited with her her true love and cloud being a, a piece of that and you know i i always lean my interpretation if we're going to go to og territory my interpretation is that her relationship with cloud the date everything it was actually an expression of her love for zach Right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that she was genuinely ever like, oh, I want to be with Cloud, you know, and a lot of people presented it as this this thing of choose Tifa, choose Aerith, whatever. And and like even uh, Robert Pattinson in interviews for the most recent Batman movie he was in, he mentioned how his his I, his understanding of love was like educated by this game and having to make the choice between Tifa or Aerith. He said in that? Final Fantasy. Oh, oh yeah, he did. I can I got to see that. Show me that later. Yeah, we'll pull a quote if we can for the the episode here. It's the two options of guards you can have this. You don't you know Final Fantasy? No. It's the best. It's a love triangle uh -huh. where Aeris or Aerith, depending on what what version of the game you have, uh -huh. <laughs> sometimes mistranslated. 
like she's like the really kind girl who has this, that has superpowers like to like heal everyone and like make the world Ugh, a better place poor then, women we have to heal everyone and then is like this like sexy little thing he's like a thief and stuff she wears a short skirt and you're like I can't decide after the full picture's been painted I never really came off with like Aerith is a choice right it became kind of clear to me that Tifa was Cloud's person right he he had made that promise to her as a kid and he was going to follow through with it for basically the rest of his life and that Aerith's relationship with us was an echo of who she really wanted to be with too and like Aerith and Tifa end up just being besties by the end of the game there is no rivalry there there is no love triangle of any kind and Cloud isn't like pining after Aerith as like a lover he's just recognizing and having love and respect for what she did for everyone so mm-hmm. so in this moment I think this is kind of like the white flowers represent Tifa the yellow flowers represent Aerith is my interpretation and maybe what you pick again I have no conversation or no actual like information on that's what's going on but maybe that plays into the the shadow dating game yeah that, that makes sense to me your your theory is sound and and I'm glad of that I'm I, I am I consider myself team Tifa <laughs> yeah it just makes sense because uh, you know when you look at the big picture I think it's the healthier choice of the the relationship dynamics I, I think Aerith is a few steps of head of cloud and she would kind of be like what's the word like lowering her lowering her standards if she was to take on him as a partner in original before we enter the door we have a conversation with Aerith where we talk a little about Tifa now this this conversation in remake occurs after we do all of the questing or does what or maybe none of the questing if you chose not to do any of the questing um but since they're they have some content separating them in the timeline of events between the two we'll just talk about them now and then we'll come back to the questing in og you get this conversation of you know i gotta i gotta head back to sector seven to seventh heaven and to uh meet up with tifa again and uh Aerith asks this is the first time she's heard the name so Aerith asks uh, is tifa a girl and that's kind of a dumb question i don't know <laughs> tifa does not lend itself to a male name but who knows fantasy world could be could be a man named tifa so cloud says yeah and then air says is tifa a girlfriend you get the choice of two answers you go yeah that's right or you get no way with an exclamation mark and to me neither answer is quite correct in the scope of things uh so like in og she's kind of heavily leaning on you to help her out and there's this childhood connection but it's not like she's your girlfriend or you're dating or anything but then also to just be like you know is she a girlfriend no way like ugh, girls ew, ew. like yeah it's just like well you there's obviously something there. It's not just like, oh yeah, my buddy from when I was a kid, like she she just walked up to me and like put her hands behind her back and leaned up to me and like, hey, you forgot about your promise, bro. Like there's <laughs> obviously a little something deeper happening there, you know? Yeah. Even if it's subtext, right? Mm-hmm. There's a funny little thing though, and, and I don't know, it's it's largely a mistranslation of the Japanese word. There's a special word for like cute close friend. So maybe like 
free girlfriend, you know, of like, you know, when you're hanging out with a girl and you're spending a lot of time together, but you haven't made it official, but everybody kind of knows you're spending time together. So there's this word, cute, close friend. And um, if you run up to Barrett in Sector 7, the first time you're headed to uh, the Seventh Heaven Bar, if you run up to him real fast before all of the NPCs have arranged themselves to be ready for it, Baird asks Cloud, he's like, oh, you're excited to see your little baby, huh? And I'm like, I I never understood what that meant. It's like, are you talking about Marlene? Like, that's your baby. Like, are are did you mean to say my little baby or whatever? Because I'm I'm literally like attached to that word baby. (laughs) You know, it didn't register right for me. But watching the uh Slow translation by Tim Rogers, uh, who did the compared both games translation side by side, or I should say not both games, but the English version of OG and the Japanese version of OG. He elaborated on this special word that Barrett was using that the translator probably didn't have any context for. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the your little baby cute close friend i i don't know i don't know how you get that out of it but whatever anyway i said yeah that's right knowing it's not right (laughs) i said no way because it's tertiarily closer to the truth of she is in fact not my girlfriend i agree with you yeah the wording is wrong but it's technically correct but in remake you don't even get the option you don't get to say Aerith asks, like, is Tifa like your girlfriend? Uh, you say no. And then Aerith says, bet she's someone special. And Cloud says, I can't explain. So we're we're not even given the opportunity to make a choice in remake. He doesn't even lay on a Kyomine. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna re retranslate this conversation to sound a little bit more realistic, like a real conversation that humans would have, if you'll bear with me here. Let me play one of the characters. Give me a character. Okay. You you've got the script in front of you here. I do. Okay. I'll I'll be uh I'll be Aerith here. Okay. So Cloud mentions the bar, blah blah blah, meeting Tifa and I uh, me being Aerith, I'm gonna say Tifa's a friend of yours? Yeah. Like a girlfriend? Not really. But she's counting on me. Or you have the other option of... Maybe. There's a connection between us, for sure. I feel like those are two (laughs) much more genuine answers of, you know, like, no, she's not my girlfriend, but we're close friends. She she needs me right now. Or, like, you saying, yeah, maybe, I don't know, there might be something there. So, uh, yeah, granted, you had the, the text box size limitation of they could only put so many characters code wise in those boxes. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe just the hard yes no is what they had to go with. But I felt like mm-hmm. you know even just in the thirty seconds I wrote that that that's a little bit more realistic to way humans would have that conversation. I feel like I have had that conversation in real life, like the hmm. like oh your friends Emily your friends huh yeah yeah we're friends girl friends <laughs> and no 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 it's not like that it's we're just hanging out she's counting on me yeah <laughs> she, she she's in a bind you know she's um she's a terrorist and she needs somebody to press the go button on the bomb so this episode ran long so we're going to break it up into two parts with the dividing line being right here 
Join us next episode where we will continue the conversation. Quests, Turks, and Flowers. Oh my! run they did fred durst out there doing live tours now looks like he's about 85 years old i saw them at Rockfest a few years ago they were great or i should say west borland was really great man he carries that band on his back for sure i i was a fan as a kid you know and i was picked on for liking limp biscuit i definitely had a significant other that album oh yeah and yeah nookie was the big song for me although i know roland is their I think their most famous song, according to Spotify plays. Actually, I think Roland is a pretty great jam, actually. Yes. I liked them, but they weren't like a a band I mainlined by any degree. I was a I was a corn guy when when that era hit. When the Mm. when the corn era hit, I was a corn guy and then tertiarily dabbled in some biscuit. But even just kind of liking them, I caught strays from from that. I don't know. it's weird because like you would you would think i guess never mind like the way it's represented in popular media now is that like rockheads metalheads all that were the kids that were picked on at school like the outcasts or whatever but i always grew up thinking like wow i'm incredibly cool for listening to rock music and then being picked on by people i was like what what's your deal like you're picking on me for being a badass like i don't get it <laughs> oh, i i it's just kind of like all right, dude. Yeah, you. You're, the music you like sucks. I, I don't know what to tell you about it. New metal was something I spent pretty much all of high school waiting to blow over. Uh, there were some songs I, I did like. I thought uh, Falling Away From Me, Corn was a pretty good song. All the singles on Toxicity was mm-hmm. pretty good. I think, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a new metal connoisseur, but if the genre had a, like the triple S, like, like the Nevermind of new metal... I think it's toxicity. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I I grew up. See, grunge for me was a little bit more uh, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, and I didn't I didn't get into Nirvana. I didn't mm. get into the mainstream grunge as much. I was because like obviously, yeah, Soundgarden is mainstream grunge, but they got pretty experimental after. Uh, What's the? I want to say Bad Motor Finger, but it's one after that. It's the Super Unknown. Super Unknown. Yeah, right. Think right up with me there. Um, after that, they got pretty experimental and kind of fell off on the charts because they were doing some weird shit. And that's right when it started clicking for me. Like, mm. oh, oh yeah, here we go. And so this being me as a ten-year-old <laughs> with my musical opinions as a as a child, and yeah, I kind of felt the same way. Like, uh, ev- everybody was like salivating over Lincoln Park, you know, and they'd be on the radio every 10 minutes and it's just like, meh, it's all right. He's he's kind of whining a little too much for me, you know. Where's where's the uh where's where's the like um the edge? And and people say edgy and use that word now as like a negative meme, but that was we craved that back in the 90s. Edge was everything. Sonic the Hedgehog, he was <laughs> Turned into an edgy AF. An edge hog. They knew what they were doing. He was he was the answer to Mario being for little kids. You had a uh, you had Sonic mm-hmm. dunking on robots and dropping uh, quips and 
owning the libs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and that's how you go from feeling tired to Limp Biscuit to Sonic oh. the Hedgehog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what even started that? We'll have to review the tape. <laughs> how did we get there? How did we get there? Oh, the um Beastie Boys. Beastie Boys. Me. Beastie no sleep. Boys. Yeah. All right. Well, you, you uh, exercise your judgment on what this ends up being cut into. 